Some of you may remember that um, a couple years ago, something called the pandemic happened and so many things happened. But for us as a church, of course, we went online and we had Zoom church and YouTube. We had so many different kinds of church. But God in his mercy allowed us to continue meeting because the place is not... Uh, the church, the people are the church, but place is kind of important. It's nice to have a place. And part of what happened is that uh, we were already meeting here at uh, JLS Middle School, and uh, Palo Alto Unified let us know that uh, no one could use their property, and they did not know when they would let us know, they did not know when we could start meeting here again. And we realized, oh wow, it looks like we will be ready to meet again together. We were desperate to see each other and worship together out loud, not in our living rooms. And uh, one thing that we realized is we don't have a place to meet. So um, one thing led to another, and uh, the grace of God was poured out to us through Peninsula Bible Church, um, where they allowed us to meet under a big tent outside in their parking lot, where they were also meeting. And um, I'm just so grateful for um, PBC. Today, our speakers are Paul and Rachel Taylor, who are leaders um, and ministers at PBC. Um, They are dear friends of mine. And um, it's really been wonderful how many of the pastors and leaders of the churches in town We've really become true friends with one another. I know that you guys had a, la- a great time with Pastor Coloma from University Amy Zion last weekend, um, while the women were many women were at the women's retreat. Um, mm, Coloma Smith, man, <laughs> love him, and he's a dear friend too. So I, I want you to know that God has done just a, a work of grace through our relationships, and so it's my great pleasure to introduce and pray for Paul and Rachel. Would you join me as I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for um, the brothers and sisters that we have at PBC. Thank you, Lord, for their love for you and their unique expression of your kingdom. Thank you for their generosity to us as a a church um, in, in so many ways. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work of unity um, in this town, in this area, um, that we who are of different traditions could know and love and learn from one another. For you are the one we love, and all honor goes to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Oh, and God bless these guys as they pray. <laughs> thank you, Susan. Uh, well, I get the first half of the sermon, and then I'm going to pass it off to Rachel in a bit. But uh, good morning. My name is Paul, and I got to say, it is such a privilege to be here. Um, I love your pastors. Um, I got to know Alex and Susan, I think, back when I was a student at Stanford. Um, so that was 20-plus years ago, which means that we went, must have been like two or three years old then, uh, if you do the math. Um, so really cool to be here. I love Vineyard. I've loved it for a long time. And um, it was really fun to be here. I got here early and saw kind of the team setting up. And just, you guys have a great team, a great community. It's really fun to be part of you this morning. And the other cool thing I want to share is I actually, this room, I think, was where I started going to church in California. So when I was a student at Stanford, the Peninsula Bible Church college group met here. I I think it was this room, unless things have changed in 28 years. Um, But so I have actually strong memories of being here. And um, 
it's just cool to think about how the Spirit has filled places over time and done work in particular places and then brings it back around. So that's really cool. Um, all right, I want you to imagine, as we start to get into the word, imagine that you're standing, that you're standing on El Camino and you uh, see a car drive past. Now, this particular car has uh, soda cans tied to its bumper, so it's making a noise. And you see, uh, written in shoe polish along the back of the window, you see, congratulations, Brian and Denise. And it drives past, and it's out of your life. So for about five, six seconds, you see a scene of something happening. What's going on? They just got married. Brian and Denise just got married, right? So in those five seconds, you have put together in your head a story from that little scene. And you probably could imagine the last, I don't know, maybe even couple years in Brian and Denise's life, right? They probably met at some point, maybe online, maybe a friend, something. They dated, they got, they got engaged. They spent the last nine months planning a wedding. For the last few hours, they had some kind of ceremony. They ate some food. They probably danced. He danced with his mom. She danced with her dad. You know, you can probably fill in a whole bunch of details that you expect to be true of Brian and Denise. But not just of their past, you'd also probably fill in a bunch of their future, right? They're driving somewhere, probably uh, to a hotel or something. Maybe tomorrow they'll fly to Hawaii or Tahiti or some other cool place. Uh, then they'll come back in a week. They'll start going through life. Ten years from now, they'll be at their kids' soccer games, right? You, you have, through that five or six seconds, an entire story concocted of these two individuals. Now, you may have some of the details wrong. You may not be exactly right, but you've done that with a very quick glimpse. This is what we do as people. We create stories. We use stories to make sense of our lives. And in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to see a very quick glimpse of Jesus. But in that quick glimpse, we're going to recognize that what's going on is an entire backstory to what we see and an entire future to what God is doing in that moment. But here's the thing. Um, when we write stories, we, we expect certain things. Now, it could be that you were wrong about Brian and Denise. It could be that something else was going on entirely. And so there is the story that we imagine in our heads, the way that we as people fill in a backstory and concoct a future but there's also the real story of what's actually happening. And what we're going to see this morning as we look at what Jesus does is that the story we expect is not always the story being written. And we're going to wrestle with what that means in our lives because for a lot of us, the stories that are happening, the things in our lives that are, that are being played out aren't exactly what we thought they would be. And when that happens, we have to wrestle with God and say, I thought this, but I'm experiencing that. So what do we do with that? How do we take that 
to God and how do we understand what kind of story God is writing in our lives compared to the one that we expect. All right, so let's jump into the story and see what happens. We're going to open up by looking at Mark 11, 1 to 6. So this is, uh, this is how it goes. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, this would be, of course, Jesus and his disciples, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now, Jesus has spent the last several weeks on a long journey from up in the northern part of Israel by the Sea of Galilee, journeying down to Jerusalem. Along the way, he's done miracles. He's predicted his death and resurrection. There's been a whole set of events that have transpired. And now, just before he makes his grand entrance, he wants to set things up so that he enters the city in a certain way. Now, by doing this, Jesus is telling a story. He's drawing on some cultural reference points to help people understand what's happening. And he's doing it in, in an interesting but also kind of provocative way. He tells his disciples, go um, and steal a cult, right? But it's okay because the people know you're going to steal it and they'll be okay with it. So they do that and, and they follow these, these kind of bizarre instructions. And as a side note, you can, you can almost imagine the people who own the cult what happened to them? What did they experience? What, was it a dream? Did, 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 did someone tell them? How did God speak to them to prepare them for their little part in the story that we, we, don't, we don't even know who they are, we don't know their names, but they had a part, and somehow God was at work in them as well. So Jesus tells his disciples, go get this cult, and what he's doing is he's drawing from these ideas, um, and what he's saying is that we're going to enter the city like a king. Okay? Let's look back at 1 Kings 1, uh, 38 to 39. This is when David does something similar. David asks his son to come into the city, and he puts his son Solomon on his colt. Listen to this. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. It's the equivalent of the car with the soda cans in back and the shoe polish on the windows. Everybody knew what was happening. This is how a king enters the city. And one of our problems here living in this country is that we really don't understand the whole idea of what it means to be a king. We think we do when we use the word, but we really have no idea. See, we grew up with this idea of a representative democracy. It's a great thing, right? 
started from this a new idea that somebody invented in the 7th century called the social contract of government. I know you're like, is this a history class? What's going on? So the social contract of government says that our leaders only have authority because we have agreed to give them our naturally born authority over to them, right? Now, that's really good politics. It's worked really well, but it's bad theology. That's not what a king is. A king has power and authority by some natural right. And as subjects of a king, you don't turn over your authority to him or her. You submit. You pledge allegiance. You bow down. And so when Jesus came here and he rides in as a king, he is saying that he's the one that's going to write the story, that he is the king. So for all of us, as we read the story and as we see what's going on, we need to ask the question of ourselves, what is it that we think is going to happen? How is it that we expect our stories to play out? How do you expect your story to play out? That's a question. We could go around the room and be here till Easter, sharing all the expectations and ideas and hopes and dreams and fears that are within us. My wife and I have five children. Um, they're all, all actually gone right now. Like there are, we have four days of a, of a pre-empty nest experience. So it's, it's kind of like the already and not yet, you know, how like <laughs> the new creation comes in a taste. That's what, that's what we're experiencing here. Um, we have three children that, that were born to us, three biological kids and two kids that we adopted. This was something that we uh, felt kind of led towards early on. People always ask us why we did this, and I say, my wife was interested in it, and I was interested in her. So the math, uh, what is it, transitive property, I was interested in foster care and adoption. So um, after we had our kids, we, we started to go through that process, and we just felt like there's this quote from the man, his name is Charles Loring Brace, who founded the foster care movement in the U.S. He said, there are many spare places at the table of life they have enough for themselves and the stranger too. And that's kind of what we felt. We felt like God had given us extra. And that was the area we wanted to share. So we adopted two children and we had a ton of expectations of how this story would be written, how it would play out. Most of them involved, you know, people praising us, or I should say for me, you know, oh, you're so amazing and you're such an incredible parent and all this great, it was just gonna be glorious. Um, and of course, we'll get back to that a little bit later in the, in the message, but it ended up being different. The question for you to wrestle with is, what expectations do you have of your story? How do you expect things to go from here? Well, after Jesus told his disciples to get the colt, he rode into town, and this is what happened. This is Mark 11, 7 to 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Do you hear the similarity between what Jesus did with what Solomon did centuries prior? 
this sense that the king is coming, that a new kingdom is being brought in. And I love how Ian pointed out earlier that that word Hosanna is actually a request. It means save us. God, would you save us? And so these people came to Jesus. They came to this event with some hopes, some idea that this person would be able to write a different story than the one they were living. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, this word Hosanna, but here's one of my favorite stories. This is 2 Samuel 14. It's actually a story within a story, but this old woman comes to King David and she tells a story about how her husband was killed and about how one of her sons killed the other. And now the town was going to take that other son and execute him and she'd be left with nothing. So she comes to King David and says this. This is 2 Samuel 14, 4. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Hosanna, save me, O king. Those are the words that she said. And what she was doing is saying, I'm living a story, and the way that the story is currently being written ends up in disaster. And I'm hoping that you have the capability to change the ending of my story, to write a different version from here on out. Would you save me? Hosanna, O king. Would you save me? Would you be the one to write my story? Now, these people gathered here in Jerusalem as they're welcoming Jesus in, uh, it, it, it's kind of easy to criticize them. We often say, oh, they were saying Hosanna on Sunday, and then by Friday they were saying crucify. And that might be true, but let's at least just evaluate what they're doing here now. They, they, they may not follow through with it, but at this moment, they are welcoming Jesus as their king. And each of them has a sense that this is the one that we are submitting to in hopes that he will write a better story for our lives. Their posture toward Jesus was the right posture. And so as we see them, as, as we hear them, we can, we can emulate them. Because we all have expectations the idea to say, hey, go into a new situation and don't have any expectations. I hate when people tell me that. It's like, have you ever lived? Like, have you done anything in life? You can't not have expectations. You are going to have expectations. The better encouragement is submit your expectations to Jesus. Have them. You're going to have them, but hold them with an open hand and allow Jesus to change them. That's what these people, at least through their words, were doing. So for us, the encouragement then is to focus on Jesus as the king. Focus on him as the one who holds the story. It's been really helpful for me over the last few years. Um, with all the things going on, uh, stuff in our family, the pandemic, the world, everything, last few years have been, for me, really full of anxiety. Um, it's been a kind of a a little bit of a dark season. It's, it's, um, the Lord has done a great work. But this idea of just allowing Jesus to be the one to write this story has been incredibly powerful. What would that look like for you to, to take your expectations and turn them over to Jesus? Rachel's going to come up now, and she's going to take that idea and kind of help us 
drive it home and um, do it without feedback, if the Lord wills. There we go. Thank you so much. Hi, guys. Well, when um, Susan asked both Paul and I to do a sermon together, I thought, hmm, how does that work? How do two people give one sermon? I kind of imagined us both being up here at the same time with witty banner back and forth, like talk show hosts or news anchors, and I decided that we just weren't funny enough to pull that off. So we split the time, and I graciously allowed him to go first. And what I've figured out from the preparation process is that this is a great way to preach because I got to have somebody just set everything up for me, and I get to walk up here and do the practical application, which is my favorite part anyways. Um, So I don't know, maybe we can keep this rhythm going, Paul. Um, Well, let's jump back into the story. So up to this point, everything has been building, not just in the book of Mark, not just in the life of Jesus, but the entire story of God's creation, the grand story of his people and of his plan for redemption. Finally, the messianic king promised to God's people throughout the whole Old Testament is here. He has come into the holy city, he has approached the temple, and he is about to enter in and be crowned king. Finally, order is about to be restored. Jesus has worked hard to get here. Um, to this point in his story. But as we turn the page, just when we think we're at the climax of the story, just as we think that we're about to get to our happy ending, there is a plot twist, and it looks nothing like we anticipated. Let's read what happens next. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. What? He got there, looked around, and left? Is this what we expected to happen? Is this the happy ending we had hoped for? No. No, it's not. What was supposed to happen? Remember the first Kings passage Paul read earlier? Let's read it again. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, And the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon. Jesus was supposed to be coronated as king. The priests were supposed to be at the temple to meet him. They were supposed to anoint him with oil They were supposed to blow the trumpet and chant, long live King Jesus. But none of that happened. No one was there to greet him. No one anointed him with oil. No trumpets were blown. There was no chanting, no cheering. Where was the crowd that had started out with him at the gate? Where did they go? And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Do you ever have moments like these? Moments that are incredibly anticlimactic? What have you been doing to get to this point in your story? What are all the things you have done to get to this very moment? A lot of you have come to the Bay Area 
like us for work or school, you have come here because you're on a path towards a particular end goal. Maybe it's a school or a degree or a company, a job, a position, a title, maybe just a better life for your children, but you have worked hard to get here. For many of you, your parents or grandparents even have worked hard for you to get here. But we're gonna take a minute to stop. Stop working, stop climbing, stop striving and just pause. Look around, you're here, you made it. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Whether your goal was the school or a degree, a position, a happy family, take a minute to stop and look around. What do you see? Is your life working out as you had planned? Is it as fulfilling as you thought it would be? If you're anything like me, and if you're willing to be brutally honest, life isn't quite delivering in the way that you thought it would. I'm not quite as happy as I want to be. My kids are struggling a bit more than I would like. People don't seem to recognize all of my strengths and giftings. I feel overlooked. I don't get the recognition I thought I would. This isn't how I thought it would feel. So the question is, what's next? What do I do next once I've looked around and realized my story isn't unfolding quite as I had hoped? Let's look at what Jesus did again. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. What's in here that we can follow in Jesus' footsteps? The first thing I notice is that when Jesus' story started to crumble around him, he had people surrounding him to support him in his next steps. He didn't do it alone. Who are some people in your life who can provide you support when you hit your anticlimactic points or your crisis points? Hopefully there are a few people in this room that fit that category for you. Are you allowing enough margin in your life to spend regular time with them so that they can really know what's going on in your life? Are you meeting with them regularly to talk honestly about life? Maybe a monthly coffee or a weekly small group. I hear there's one starting. Um, make sure you aren't neglecting to invest in those vital relationships. We need each other, especially when our stories take unexpected turns. The second thing that I notice is that Jesus does not give up on his ultimate goal. Jesus will be king, but the path to the throne is not a conventional one. God is asking him to pursue his calling in a different way. One thing that we see Jesus doing over and over again in the New Testament is taking frequent pauses in his busy life to listen to what the Father has to say to him. We see Jesus regularly withdrawing to spend time in both prayer and reflection, and he always comes out of these times with clarity for his next steps. Are you taking the time to stop and pray and reflect on your life? When you do, are you able to hear from God what he might be saying to you in the areas of school or work, home, family, relationships, health, community, finances? If this process seems a bit unfamiliar to you, you can talk to anyone that works at Vineyard and they can help you cultivate a rhythm where you can hear from God regularly. Most likely, you won't need to give up whatever it is that you feel your calling is. God has a way of taking our backstories, our interests, 
our giftings, our context, and weaving them together into a calling on our lives. It doesn't need to be a grand calling, but God is weaving together a story in each of our lives. We are headed in a direction, and most of us have at least a general sense of that direction. But it can become problematic when our expectations of how our story will unfold don't match reality. Um, when we come up against moment like, moments like these, um, just like Jesus did as he entered the temple and did not receive the proper reception of the king, we have a choice to make. Are we willing to let go of our version of our story for God's version? Paul mentioned our adoption journey so far, and he talked about our experience of unexpected turns. There was a point um, when I literally cried out to God and said, did you call me to do this just to destroy my family? Because I felt like I had been obedient to his call, but we were having a really hard time. We were in over our heads, and we did not know how to best move forward. It was a real question for me at the time. But it was also the clearest I have ever heard God's voice in my life. He simply said no. It was one short word, two letters, with zero explanation. <laughs> but um, what the no meant was, no, your family isn't going to fall apart. Your dream for your family isn't over. But you do have to shift how you're going to get there. He asked me, he asked us to make some hard decisions for a time to do things really differently for a while. Um, we had to place one of our adopted children in a therapeutic home for a season, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It was definitely not in my version of how I thought our story would unfold. I wasn't completely naive. In college, I had minored in human development, and I had some idea of how exposure to childhood trauma affected a child's development. But in my mind, our adoption story included a few years of adjustment at the beginning. I knew it was going to be rough. Um, but then a settling into a peaceful rhythm. Several years in, it was clear that this is not how the story would go. When my story started to crumble around me and I cried out to God, I desperately needed that one little word from him. That no gave me the assurance to pursue the dream, but pursue it in a different way. And I could not do it alone. We could not do it alone. We needed the support of others. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Where are you in your story? Is it going the way you expected? Is God asking you to make any shifts in how you're pursuing your goals and your calling? Will you insist on being in control of how your story unfolds? Or will you let Jesus be the king of your story? We're going to have communion next. And during communion, um, I invite you to take time to prayerfully reflect on where you are. Stop and look around. Ask God what your next step should be. This is an iterative process. It's not something we do just once. This is how we walk with Jesus. We reach these points where our expectations for our story don't match up with reality, and he asks us to shift. In honor of Palm Sunday, we actually have little palm branch stickers 
They're not, oh, and we have the crosses. Someone just held up. Yeah, but we have some palm branch stickers. They're not all technically palm branches, but they can be representative. Um, so pick the one you like. Um, during communion, when you're at your seats, um, hold it in your hand, look at it, and ask God what he has to say to you about your story right now. What is he calling you to notice as you take a moment to honestly look around you at how your life is going? How, how might he be asking you to shift? How can you let him be the king of your story? Maybe you need to work a few less hours a week. Maybe you need to find a new weekly rhythm that includes more time for God or more time for community. Maybe there's a situation at work or home that he'd like you to deal with differently or maybe a problem that you've been ignoring that needs your attention. Um, then when you get home, you can put the sticker on your phone, your laptop, your water bottle, journal, in your car, on your bathroom mirror, um, your bedside stand. Um, somewhere, well, you'll see it frequently, and it can remind you that, like Jesus on Palm Sunday, you might need to adjust your expectations of how your story unfolds. You might need to do things differently than you had originally thought, but ultimately, you can trust God to be the king of your story. You can trust that he is the author of your story, and it is a good story. When life gives you a Palm Sunday where nothing seems to be going as planned, you can look further ahead in the story to Easter Sunday and trust him for that good ending. You can take the different path that he's asking you to take, it's a path of a life redeemed, a life resurrected. It's a path to the full life that he promised us and came to give us. I feel led by God to just give us a, a, a few moments of silent reflection. So um, I want to encourage you to continue to go along the lines of what um, Rachel, the questions that Rachel asked. So just take a few minutes.